All right, welcome back to the American Soccer Crash Course. Excited to be joined by my co-host Lodge Dills and our casual fan recurring guest, Joe Burchie. Joe, uh, has the weather changed? What's going on there? The weather's changed, and uh, my knowledge of uh, Christian Pulisic has changed since last time I've been on as well. So, nice. Yeah. I'll nice. be back and gain more knowledge. And you've, mm-hmm. you're rocking your Roma scarf today. I'm rocking my FC Roma scarf. Nice. Uh, shout out my brother. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're excited to bring another episode to you today. Uh, and this one's particularly timely because the World Cup roster drops on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Today's Monday. And allegedly the players have been notified if they're going to the World Cup or not at this stage. Really? Yeah. So they all got the calls today. Huh. Uh, very exciting time. And as of about an hour ago, there was a leak. Ooh. The first of I would suspect many. But Tim Ream, you are going to the World Cup. Let's clap it up. Let's go. Let's go. I'm very happy about that. Tim Ream is an absolute legend. We talked about him. Okay, that's strong. But we like Tim Ream. He's cool. We like Tim. For, we like Tim. Yeah. Episode one, uh, we introduced him, showed you a little, a little bit of his man bun. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just a good freaking guy. When I was in, studying abroad in London. <laughs> uh, you studied abroad? I did study abroad. You did too, right? Lance? Yeah, yeah. But I, I like to be a little bit. You know, did it change your life? It changed his it life. Did. It yeah. changed Lodge's life. He was in a much sunnier place than I. <laughs> but um, I got to see Tim Ream play for Fulham while I was there. And he's just – Tim Ream's a fantastic guy. And uh, after the game, he went around the field. Just clapped everyone, thanked them for being there. Um, and it's so cool to see because he was – he's 35 years old now. We've talked about finding your level on this podcast. Sure. For the longest time, he found his level, and that was not the top. Mm-hmm. And like in some wild kind of circumstance this year, he's been the cream of the crop for Fulham this year and really done a really good job in the Premier League, which I think a lot of people did not see coming. So. Yeah. He's got that Jedi Robinson link too, which yeah. would be great. Huge. Yeah. Um and they he, yeah, they both kinda they're both left footed, right? So they're gonna be be playing together, having that chemistry that they have in the Premier League. Sure. I think HBO needs to do a do a hard knocks type series, uh, World Cup edition. So who's gotten chopped so far? Anyone or no? Uh so t- we celebrate Tim Ream. Um I should say a couple of people have gotten chopped. John Brooks is officially dead. Uh, the producers are throwing a little clip of him scoring against Ghana in sure. the World Cup. Yeah. Um, any other big ones, Lodge? Not off the top of my head. I mean, he was just solid. You yeah. Know, he was he was one of the old guard. So yeah. kind of that out with the old, in with the new pretty much. I think everybody's out. Yeah. One of the guys who we really anticipated would be part of this would be Chris Richards, and he got hurt. So as much as we celebrate Tim Ream, that's probably why he's going there because Chris Richards is going to be mm-hmm. out, which is a disappointment Another really good kid kind of thing um and i think you know we'll we'll wait and see but it looks like a guy who's playing for one of the best teams in germany jordan pfock is going to be out so it'll all drop on wednesday i'm sure we'll we'll talk about it in our next episode but sure uh, will be interesting to follow the leaks the next couple days so so how many total roster spots are there again 26. 26 and how many players will actually see the field in the world cup 15 16 maybe Great question. Totally depends on the squad and totally depends on injuries. Gotcha. So more than likely, we'll probably see somewhere from 18 to 20, and then yeah, the other guys are just reserves. You're not, probably not going to see the other two goalies. You usually bring three unless somebody gets hurt. 
Um, and then the back line, they usually try not to mix that up a little bit. The forwards are probably where we're going to see the most churn, just yeah. depending on who's kind of playing midfield, I would assume, is probably going to be rock solid. Yeah, and you would anticipate we're playing Wales the first game, which is probably a team that likes to sit back, sort of do the park the bus kind of system, mm-hmm. whereas England is going to be more – I mean, they might still park the bus a little bit, but they're going to try to control the game, control sure. the ball. So it'll be two games that require different play styles and ask different things of the team, and that might ask different things of the personnel. So And ask different things for our main man today. Let's get to the agenda, Christian. Yes, absolutely. So our main man today, uh, first seven episodes have been players. Today is coach Greg Berhalter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this will be a good, good one for you, Joe, just in terms of getting a feel for the the story of this team. Um, we're going to talk about Greg Berhalter, introduce him. We're going to tell you what you should expect for this Wednesday World Cup drop. Couldn't contain our excitement. Had to talk a little bit about it. Sure. Uh, if you have any questions for us on the roster, if you have any takes for who should be on that roster, drop them in the comments on YouTube. Like and subscribe if you're enjoying our content. It allows us to reach a broader audience. Um, and then to, to go on with the agenda here, Joe is going to explain some basic soccer, some basic gameplay. And we're going to finish up by just telling you about what Greg Berhalter does and the other 31 coaches at the World Cup, what mm-hmm. the kind of role of the international manager is specific to international soccer and why that's kind of different from lots of other coaches. So, sure. yeah, so real quick, we're going to uh, show you guys a video of one of Greg Berhalter's uh, – Quirks? What would you say? What, Quirk, what you... I would say he's a little quirky. That's yeah. probably the right word. Yeah, he. Uh, it's it's made him a little famous for this, but it's a great thing when we're winning. It's a not so great thing when we're losing. Yeah. But take a look. Quick review of what we know about Greg Berhalter so far. He enjoys giving multimedia presentations, particularly ones where he can uh, do a reveal. He likes to use the clicker. Here it is. One of his big things is changing the way the world views American soccer. He's an active motivator. He does use some language that's a little rough for my taste, but he's a passionate guy who's from New Jersey. Another thing he is is detail-oriented. I think that's fair to say. He's capable of being extremely specific about time, meet at 4.23 or 6.13. He may just have a general preference for three times. He's collected Starbucks mugs from every place that he's ever visited. Another big hobby is shoes, and there's speculation he has a suitcase that's just a shoe suitcase. And then his other big thing is bounce passes, which you already probably know about if you watch the games. They've gotten harder and harder. We're not, not really sure why he's doing it. So that was delivered by uh, this guy named Watkey, who has really carved the, the niche that no one saw coming, which is a uh, U.S. men's national team comedian. Mm-hmm. So he, he makes a lot of those videos. <laughs> he's, he's kind of become famous off of the uh, behind-the-back passes. Mm. Uh, but back to our main man today, uh, the man of the hour, Greg Berhalter. Uh, Triple G, G-R-E-G-G is how he sp- spells his first name, so people refer to him as G-G-G. Um, quick bio from him, 49-year-old from New Jersey, um, lover of sweet kicks and bounce passes, as you've seen from that video. He's usually wearing a fresh pair of dunks or something like that in yeah. the games. Yeah, he uh, pay- puts a lot of attention into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but just as a player background, he was actually a starter for the U.S. men's national team in 2002. Um, beat Mexico in the first Dosa Cero in the round of 16, which was, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about the one that kind of happened in the World Cup qualifying, but that's where the phrase comes from, Dosa Cero, meaning 2-0. Um, we beat Mexico in the round of 16, I believe, of the World Cup that year, um, and he was an instrumental piece in that, I believe, playing 
Right, I want to say right back. I want to say I'm right only back. Seen, yeah. I've only seen old videos of it, but mm-hmm. yeah, pretty special to end up matching up against your biggest rival in the World Cup. Yeah. It was probably our best ever performance in the World Cup. I mean, making it to the round of eight. I don't think we've ever done that before. Yep. Maybe it will happen this year. Maybe not. We'll, the jury's out on that one. Um, <laughs> but hopefully can use that experience in Qatar of just having that, you know, deep playoff run, as you would say. Yeah. Um, a guy who's been there and knows what it takes um, and really can jazz the team up in that sense. For sure. For sure. Um, additionally, he did play in both Europe and the MLS during his career, so he does have a little bit of experience with both, which we'll touch on a little bit later and kind of how that plays into his team selection. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just to get into his coaching resume and the subsequent uh, – I wouldn't say the fans loved what happened with his with Controversy his for sure. Yeah, so his pre his hire, um, you know, he was working his way up, coaching ranks, assistant coach here, assistant coach there, but he had a job – as like a head coach in the Swedish league, which I don't know anything about the Swedish league, but uh, he was eventually fired for lack of offense. Mm-hmm. So whenever the U.S. is playing bad, people like to throw up an old screenshot of a article that said, you know, Greg Berhalter fired for lack of offense. Right. Uh, but he eventually made it back to the MLS where he was given the job as the head coach of the Columbus crew. Mm-hmm. Uh Funny enough, one of our a friend of the pod, uh, Josh Brooks, actually lived in Columbus on his street, and so got to know him super well. No, oh. I know uh, J- Josh was looking forward to t- talking about it, but uh, he did like his brothers played soccer with yeah. Berhalter's kids, so they're yeah. like super tight family friends. Berhalter's kid is, I think, on the crew now. If yeah. I remember correctly, yeah, yeah, they've they've been in the in the MLS from what I'm from what I know. Uh, Pretty cool, though. I know it's kind of funny because, I mean, in any sport, right, you have, like, the whole perspective of your coach just lost you a big game and you want to, like, rip his head off. And uh, Sounds like he's uh, almost like a player's coach. So he was, you know, a former player. Yeah. Relati- yeah. Relatively young guy, it sounds like. Not super old. Yep. Mm-hmm. Almost kind of has that player coach's role. It doesn't, like, maybe he's not super disciplinarian. But, yeah. Yeah. For sure. I would say, yeah. Yeah, and we, we talked about Weston McKenney, uh, one of the players being – having a night or two in Nashville that he got sent home for. And that was like one moment where he, you know, stamped his authority, but on the whole, like he, he very quickly brought him back in and was like, Hey, like, I'm not going to hold that grudge forever. Like definitely a player's coach. Sure. I would say it that way. Um, albeit his players definitely clown him for the, for the bounce passes, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, he, he was with the Columbus crew for five years in the MLS. He never won the MLS like playoffs or whatever uh kind of funny thing about that is obviously that in club soccer there generally aren't playoffs other than the Champions League Mm -hmm. so you know saying a guy never won the MLS yeah it's a knock but at the same time like it's it's hard to compare sure yeah apples and oranges I would say yeah exactly Mm -hmm. I would agree with that um and so he consistently won the playoffs or made the playoffs Improved the Columbus crew, but never brought them a championship. Um, the people of Columbus never got that ring they truly desired. They had to watch Ohio State football instead. Yeah. <laughs> um, but his CV was not anything crazy at the time of his hiring. I mean, just what we told you, coached a Swedish team and coached mm-hmm. a, uh, the Columbus crew. So, Lodge, how exactly did he get hired? I'm starting to scratch my head over here. 
Um, well, I think the f- proper term is a little bit of nepotism, okay. if I remember correctly. Uh, his brother is one of the highest ranking officials in U.S. soccer. Yeah. Um, and so there was a little bit of controversy, obviously just added more gas to the already burning dumpster fire that was the team post yeah. missing the wor- last World Cup. And so right around that time, I believe he came in um, and it really, really, really started to cause some controversy in that division between the fans, I would say. Yeah. Who's the uh, who's the Urban Meyer of uh, of the United States soccer? This is the person that everyone wants to be coach, but maybe is just not a realistic goal. Hmm, that's a good question. Yeah, you got an idea in your head, or I think I got one. If not, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you lead. So this is a hot take because I, I don't think that like I don't think everyone would necessarily agree, which I guess is what you're getting at. But um, Jesse Marsh is the coach in the Premier League, mm-hmm. and he has like. So he has been brought up in the Red Bull system. So he has like a very specific play style. And so although he's the guy with the most exposure, he's who everyone you know might watch on the weekends in the Premier League. Sure. It's not so clear that what he's doing would translate super well, but he's the guy like everyone's clamoring for, I would say, just mm-hmm. because he, like he is so fiery, like even more so a player's coach, I would say. Yeah. So I would say that's who people want. And we also happen to be, you know, pretty pot, prosperous country with lots of talent so it might not even be an urban meyer there might be like several guys who you could throw out people saying hey we're the u.s you know if if greg berhalter isn't going to be the guy we could get somebody huge yeah yeah another thing to note is the last really big coach that we had was jürgen klinsman and he is a german national so he played for the german national team so you do have coaches that are really just different nationalities coming and coaching. It's not like a patriotism thing always, yeah. but generally it can be. Yeah. So, yeah, he uh, – they only actually interviewed two candidates too. That was the the uh, very sketchy thing. Oh, geez. And, and uh, I mean, you think about what they already had going on with the equal pay lawsuit. Like, mm-hmm. just very bewildering how that happens. Right. Really, kind of just speaks to what we said. U.S. soccer ha- had been a dumpster fire for a long time, mm-hmm. um, and this had its fingerprints all over it. So, I would say people weren't too excited about this hiring. I mean, we'd just seen the disaster of missing the World Cup, and now you get a guy who it looks like it was a lazy hiring process. You're kind of scratching your head as to why that even was allowed to happen. Sure. Uh, so, so to just give you a quick synopsis of – he got hired in 2018. To give you a quick synopsis of the last four years, uh, early on, it was really dominated by how he played his MLS favorites. I think he um, held on to Jossie Zardas a little bit too long. Yeah, too. yeah. oh, my Lord. Uh, yeah, this guy, Jossie, who has actually spoken about how all the USA – it was tough dealing with all these USA fans hating on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but – yeah, so that that was what really dominated the first few years of his tenure. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of weird being the coach of the U.S. men's national team because the World Cup is such a big deal and everything else in between is a little, like, nebulous in, in terms of how you can really evaluate the coach. Right. So I don't remember him doing horribly, so to speak, but I remember us playing, you know, teams in North America – Costa Rica's that's one of the better teams Panama teams like that where you know maybe we won the game but we we didn't look good and so you didn't know how much credit to give Greg sure yeah and I would definitely say um you know as you mentioned 
Aaron Long is another name that we're going to we've definitely touched yeah. on quite some time here. Um, not fans of Aaron Long on this podcast. We're Aaron Long haters. I think <laughs> I think at this point yeah. in the podcast, you could probably come out and say it. Yeah, I, there's not many people we hate, but um, why but do we hate Aaron Long? He sucks. No, he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so so he's basically we're talking about obviously the MLS favorites that Coach Berhalter had early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them, I would say, started to phase out. Aaron Long has survived the purge, yeah. mm. and he survived it so well. It looks like he's going to start at the World Cup, and he stinks. Yeah, yeah, we're not happy about that one. Um, but really, just to get back on track, kind of the reason that we're a little bit more happy um, is kind of due to his. As we're talking about Greg and his transition, he transitioned away from those MLS players that we mentioned in the beginning of his tenure, and really, I think the summer of 2020, 2021 um, was really when he started to get that kind of momentum going for the World Cup. Right. 21, we had the CONCACAF Nations League, which was a lot of the big-name players kind of getting in. Um, we beat Mexico, I believe, for the first uh, – one of the first time. The Gold Cup was the other one, right, Christian? Yeah, so, yeah, that uh, that Nations League final, that uh, that picture of Pulisic shirtless, everyone's mobbing him, and he, oh, yeah. he's, he's shushing the crowd. The uh, It's called soccer picture. Oh, yeah. um, that was the, the Nations League, and then – they had two North American tournaments in one summer because just COVID had pushed things back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how it ended up happening was in the second tournament, that was the Gold Cup. And to give the guys from the first tournament, which we want to rest, Greg trotted out like a C team full of just MLS guys. And they ended up beating Mexico's A team mm-hmm. uh, in a very dramatic last minute win. So there were two, two examples of you know, at the death wins versus Mexico and these big finals mm-hmm. uh, in North America. And that was where things felt like it was really starting to turn. It felt like uh, the USA was really taken, going past Mexico uh, as kind of the kings of CONCACAF, the, sure. the best in North America. So it was kind of interesting because both those wins, we didn't look particularly good, but it was a real throwback to the USA teams of old where we were tough to play against. Gritty. We were gritty, scrappy, and ended up pulling it out. So. So what does Burhalter's trajectory look like after this World Cup if or or what has had what has happened in the World Cup if A, he's fired right after the World Cup? Or what has happened if he somehow uh you know positioned himself to be the the coach for the next World Cup? You know, it's why do you want to take this one? Yeah. So first off, I don't think you can necessarily say that based on his performance in this World Cup, he's going to be the coach for the next one. Because we thought we had a guy like that, and then we didn't make it to the next World Cup. And so there was a little bit of a transition. We brought in somebody, and we were super excited for it. And then we just didn't make it. So we want to say that we're kind of a given at this point. But four years ago, we can't necessarily have that. Um, So I would say probably what he can do is save his job. A lot of coaches at the international level, I mean, for example, um, France, they were considering firing their coach last four years ago until he ended up winning it. Um, Jurgi Love, who was Germany's coach for the longest time, exact same scenario. So you have guys that are on the hot seat really until they win it. We're not at that level yet, but we're kind of at that mid-tier where really it's all about showing out and then qualifying strong. I I think is kind of the best recipe for success for us. Yeah, I, I, I do think it's interesting. You know, there are a lot of people with a lot of opinions on him. Uh, like any coach, sometimes those opinions were good. Sometimes they were bad. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, he works in a business where there's one thing that matters so much more than anything else. And if he goes out and gets the result, 
Like no one's going to have an argument. It's all about the World's Cup for the right. U.S. Men's National Team. So it, it really is as simple as that. Um, but what is that? Is that result just getting out yeah. of the group stage? I would say, you know, that that's maybe more of an opinion piece. If he were to get out of the group stage and win a round of 16 game, he is a lock and he has tons of wiggle room. 100%. If he gets out of the group, I think he's a lock to continue. Mm-hmm. Unless something crazy happens in the round of 16. Unless we, we get, get blown out yeah. like in an embarrassing fashion or something. Yeah, and I, I think say. it's as simple. If we don't qualify, I think he gets fired. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it's it's such a high stakes sure. thing. Sure, uh, 100%. That's why we, why we love That's mm-hmm. why we love the World Cup, you know? That's why we're doing the pod. So, uh, so Lodge, you want to break down tactically uh, what Greg Berhalter does. I, I know it's a little bit. Hard to pin down, I would say, the, the tactics. You can't give too much credit to what he's done, but what has he tried? To- so to talk a little bit about Greg's current kind of tactics, I think we probably have to look at what he started with and how he kind of transitioned. So number one, he tried starting to play out of the back. Um, I think that probably wasn't the greatest decision really due to the personality had. As mm-hmm. we mentioned, it was a lot of those MLS people coming in. And, and just a reminder, playing out of the back is when you basically try to keep the ball at all costs. You start with your goalie, you give it to your defenders, then the midfielders and the forwards. And yeah. you got to be really skilled and make accurate passes the whole way down the field. As opposed to the goalie kicking the ball down the field. Hoof and run. Launching it. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Which is something that they're definitely – getting away from in the MLS, but it's been kind of a consistent pattern over the course of the really the league. Is it yeah. the goalies don't have the legs to do it or is it um really what you want to do is you want to have possession for the most time that you can. The thought is that if you have the ball more, the other team can't doesn't have the ball and doesn't have the opportunity to score. So it's also been a transition from people um, that weren't as tactically as good or technically as good, I should say. So you had people that were just athletes in the MLS um, and athletes on our team. And now we're starting to have guys that have a little bit more foot skills, have the ability to play a more weighted pass, um, better touch, better control, things like that. And the more technical you get, the more possession you want to have because you'd rather the ball be in your hands than on the other teams. You do want the ball to be in your hands, but isn't there something to be said about you having the ball in your hands in a risky area of the field towards your goal? Oh, 100%. And definitely I think that probably plays into what we're going to talk about next, which is, you know, what he tried to do next, which was playing out of the back with athletic midfielders. And so what Greg tried to employ was bringing in guys like we've mentioned, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, things like that, or people like that, where they kind of grab the ball from the defenders and then try to funnel it out wide. Out wide, we have some pretty skillful wingbacks, fast guys. Um, Technically, they're good who can play the ball up. And then we kind of build from there. And so his kind of philosophy changed from trying to be possession-based to a little bit more verticality in that way. Um, he, it's, it's gone up back and forth we've definitely waxed and waned, um, I would say, but right now I think that's probably our most noticeable kind of trait or strategy, yeah. I would say. Yeah, I would, I would say so. It's like, it's not so much, uh, and you mentioned goalies, but also like your center backs, you know, they can grab the ball and just boot it up the field. Mm-hmm. Obviously you're just going to risk losing possession that way, but he, he's, so it's kind of a mixture of the, the purest play it out of the back and make every perfect pass and the purest <laughs> hoof the ball up in the air yeah. and let somebody run after it. It's, 
you know, we're going to build where we can and we're going to utilize our really young athletic team to try and get the ball behind the defense mm -hmm. and into scoring positions. And then, as um, you mentioned, um, as we're a young athletic team, also trying to press once we get the balls into those areas. Yeah, pressure. So, yeah, pressure. Very, very high press, I would say, compared to what we've done in the past. Yeah, and so and when you hopefully you press the other team, if they have the ball, they turn it over, and then you really spring your quick players. You play in like on the attacking positions mm -hmm. and get them up the field. So it's, it's about pushing up the field, but in a way that's not overly cute or overly, you know, chance oriented risky risk oriented yeah. yeah so yeah uh so we had all that down and then last window this last window is thrown a wrench into a lot of what we talked about the last international window where we played yeah. japan and saudi arabia we started to see those old ways of being so stubborn about we need to play the ball out of the back and joe that really lended itself to the risks that you brought up where we we gave up a goal to japan that was just like that where uh yeah it got too cute so We'll see what shows up. We hope it'll be more of the uh, the the dosacero that you were in you witnessed lodge, but um, we'll have to see. So, to get into some of Greg Berhalter's perceived strengths, uh, we've talked about how he's like a man manager, that kind of thing. He's really tried to create a team culture. That's, he definitely has, yeah. yeah. As you mentioned, like with the young guys, Weston McKinney bringing him back because yeah. he was definitely a locker room leader, mm -hmm. um, incorporating everybody into the game, but also having, you know, people like Walker Zimmerman who are a little bit older, a little bit more experienced, kind yeah. of having that blend of a bunch of different, honestly, generations in the yeah. X-Men soccer. Generations, different places people play, things like that. He's, it's, it's something that he pretty clearly emphasizes. I think even down to his uh, meticulous shoe choice um one thing that he's been excellent at and nobody can take this away from him is that he's a great recruiter he's the marcus freeman of uh international international soccer he uh he's done a great job you know the usa three million three hundred million people or whatever it is lots of ties across europe or even you know along the border of mexico to good players who could play for multiple countries and so he's done a really good job of clearly making them feel like they're part of the plan um that that they're on his radar and he's had some huge wins we talked about Sergio Dest mm -hmm. in the past um we're going to talk about a guy named Yunus Musa coming up guys like that who um should be staples of our team starters in the team for a yeah. while here uh and so getting those dual nationals has been a big time strength of his he also has been pretty good thus far at halftime adjustments. Uh, the U.S. had a thing in World Cup qualifying where, like, it was something like 80% of their goals were second-half goals. Yeah. Um, and so he, he's been good at doing that. And one that everyone loves, he's dominated Mexico. He's uh, big game. past four games against Mexico. He has three wins and a tie at Mexico. So uh, he's been very impressive at doing that. And it should also be noted that when the United States plays Mexico and the United States, it's practically an all Mexico crowd. So yeah. <laughs> there's almost all away yeah. games if you want to think about it that way. Very very Marcus Freeman asking that. He's he's losing to Marshall every once in a while and you're <laughs> going to be a little bit annoyed but he's beating Clemson. Yeah. Is, but is he building something? He's he might be building uh, something. The, that, that's the jury's the still out. That's the question. That that is the question. Yeah. Um but just to kind of hit on a couple of his weaknesses, we don't want to you know bring him up too much um as we mentioned um kind of an overcomplicated system for international play you don't really get these guys for that much of a time um similar to how you know 
I don't know if you saw the Redeem Team documentary where you had Coach K and he would kind of try to bring those guys in and it took a while to kind of instill that, um, kind of the way that they played and everything. He's very much similar in that he tries to get those guys to play out of the back. You just don't have that kind of chemistry with everybody you're playing with in all these different leagues. Um, Additionally, as we mentioned, picking the MLS favorites, you started to shy a little bit away from that, but guys like Aaron Long still kind of linger around, and so we'll see how that goes. Um, and additionally, tactically, a little bit limited. I think you know that just kind of plays into what we mentioned specifically for overcomplicated system. I think you're just putting a little bit too much into these guys' heads when you only have them for about a month at a time. Yeah, and, and whenever things go awry, that's something the players might subtly point to or mm -hmm. um, even his past players have pointed to. So. Yeah. I would say the last thing is just this question of, is he the guy? You know, this is a podcast about how talented this team is and what they could do. Is he the guy to take them there? Is he the guy to move them forward? Are we going to get our Mr. Brightside moment with him? Are we going to get our Mr. Brightside moment? And is it going to be when we have the World Cup at home in 2026? You don't get better chances than that when everyone's rooting for you. Like, that is an incredible moment and one that you really want to have, like, the best coach possible, want to be in the best position possible for um, and the bottom line is he'll be judged at this World Cup, like we said, and uh, broke down. So to get to some basic gameplay vocab, yes, Birchie. Yeah, we've been we've been down in the weeds there for a little bit. Let's mix it up. Yeah, let's, let's get it. out. All right, Joe. We're gonna throw some basic gameplay terms and stuff at you. We're gonna have you do your best to explain it. We're gonna fill in the gaps where uh, they may not be. So, Joe, can you explain offsides to us? Yes, offsides is when a player A is passing to player B and player B is already past the last defender on the opposing team. So they've jumped that line uh, defined by where the last defender is on the opposing team before the pass has gone off the passer's foot. That was possibly the best explanation I've ever heard of it. The only thing I would change is instead of saying defender, it's player. So you can mm. throw, you can loop a goalie into there. So mm. if a goalie's in front of a defender, but I mean, pretty much nail on the head, I would say. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one for one. One for one. one. Yeah. Uno para uno. We'll have, we'll have the producer throw a graphic up there. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> he doesn't know how to do that. I, talk, I just talked to him. He's not sure how to do graphics. All right. Um, well, Joe, to move on, what is a set piece? Ooh. A set piece, I'm guessing, is a set play design. Yeah. So uh, something called, so it's it's not something that happens within the flow of the game, but they have the ball maybe on the opponent's uh, half of the field, and they maybe call a play. Somebody sets, I don't know if they're screens, you but somebody pretty sets close. You are pretty right darn there. close. Yeah. Um, only thing we would add is like it's, a, it's on like a free kick or a like corner, stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. exactly. So not that, something that normally happens in the flow of play. Yeah, 100%. That was the closest I've ever heard. Yeah, off the off the cuff. Joe, what is VAR? VAR stands for Virtual Augmented Reality, <laughs> and <laughs> what they use it for in soccer, I, I I believe it has used mostly on offside calls and goals to see whether the ball has crossed a line or not. Yeah. Uh. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got to know. That was 80%, I'd yeah. say. So it's a video assistant review. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but, it, but it does do the things that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, it'll do offsides or it'll review, you know, somebody potentially doing a red card, mm -hmm. stuff like that. But, yeah, it's 
the review system. Sure. So, Joe, what is the touch line and what is the end line? The end line is the line that I'm guessing is even with the line on the goal, so that back line there. And yeah. the touch line is going to be the front line of the goalkeeper's box. Oh. One for two. Oh. One for two. Uh, the touch line is actually just really the sideline. Ah. So the ball goes into touch if it's just out. Ah, yes, you touch it with your hands. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Know that. Even but, I learned something. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just <laughs> made that up. I don't know if that's true. No, I mean it makes that sense. Because right. yeah. it makes sense because when it goes over the end line, it's like a goal kick or a corner. Yeah, you get to touch it. Yeah. What is an advantage when the ref goes? Advantage. Uh, I'm gonna say. Well, I'm gonna say there's two kinds of advantages. First advantage that I think you're thinking of is when a it was when a ref or official allows a play to keep going on even though the de- a team has committed a foul and they could stop play right there. Bang. But instead they give the other team who currently has the advantage to keep playing on. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to guess that maybe this is not a soccer team, soccer term, but an advantage is when another or a team has had a player thrown out for a red card and there may be a man differential between the two teams on the field. I don't know. I'll, I'll yeah. give it to you. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. 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 The first, one, the, the first, first part, one's a real one. The first, first part was 100%. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. yeah. We'll give it to you. We like bonus points. Um, and uh, another – yeah. Excuse me, Christian. I didn't want to cut you off there. But, um, Joe, what is a second ball? Ooh, second ball. Ooh, a second ball. Do you want it in a sentence? We can, we yeah, can, yeah, using sex. All right, yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, language yeah, of origin, yeah. please. Language of origin. British. Um, second balls, to use it in a sentence. The midfielders are really winning all the second balls today. The midfielders are winning. So maybe it's a, like a 50 50 ball. So kind of like those forward passes from the goalies that we were talking about earlier. It's up in the air for a defender or, or a forward to grab, and then it's a. It's a uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Exactly, yeah. It's like after that ball goes up, you know, that two players may try to head it. Who gets to it next? Yeah. It's that 50-50. Um, Second so ball. Yeah, all right, all right. pretty much exactly. Yeah. Uh, and what is the 18-yard box? 18-yard box. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, well, the goalies, the goal box is not 18 yards long, I don't think. So I'm going to go with – or but is it? <laughs> no, no way. Twenty yards is so long. I'm gonna go with uh, the 18 yard box corresponds. So an 80 yard box around the goal corresponds to no 18. 18 sorry. sorry, 18 yard box around the goal corresponds to where 80 percent of the goals happen from in soccer. A little Pareto analysis. I love the I love the Pareto that you're going with there, yeah. and you may be right, but uh, unfortunately, the 18 yard <laughs> box is. You know, 18 yards where the goalies can use their hands. Oh, thanks. Yeah. The yeah. box. <laughs> we tried to give you that one. Yeah. Uh, it's also, of course, where if a foul is called, it's a penalty. Mm-hmm. So, mm. And then finally, Joe, do you know how many substitutions are allowed in a soccer game? And how many times can you substitute players on the field? And how many like individual times can you put the thing up, if that makes sense? I, I want to say, do you get two substitutions a game? A little bit more. They actually just changed it. They did. A little unfair. Yeah. Go, all right, I'm going to go four then. Oh, 
Sweet. Think an odd number. Think an odd number. Yeah. Three. Oh, <laughs> think another one. Five. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and how many times can you? It will all just tell you. You can do three times, like three individual periods where you sub on. So. Ah, oh, so 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 a couple of times you need to have multiple subs basically at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's been a new role since COVID, and then they just like never got rid of it, which I think it's okay. I kind of like all the yeah, play- all mean, the all the players got COVID lungs, and and so they allowed more substitutions. Yeah, all the all the the big money soccer teams wanted it because their benches are so deep. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think I mean I think three out of eleven substitutes is pretty stupid. So I like it. A lot of injuries, and it was definitely during that COVID time when games were squashed into smaller periods. So yeah, I'm with it. I'm cool with it. All right, cool. So yeah, let's just get to our our big thing, which is. The role of the international manager and how it's maybe a little bit unique and different from other sports roles as well as the managerial role within soccer itself. So as we've mentioned, there are really few opportunities. Um, Your job makes or breaks on World Cups and uh, these continental tournaments. So Mm -hmm. the the North American continental tournaments are not a huge deal, but tournaments like the Euros and uh, the Copa America and South America, those are huge and those are right up there with world cup in terms of evaluating and and the reason that those are more kind of important for those coaches is because honestly you're playing a lot better teams you're having in copa america it's south america so you have brazil you have argentina chile like a lot of big teams europe obviously has a lot of big ones too in north america it's us mexico and now i guess canada has kind of introduced themselves on the stage um but really it's just kind of the big three and it's not really that right. enticing or it hasn't been in the past yeah and that's kind of why our, our rivalry with mexico has been such a big deal and i actually would put our rivalry with mexico right up there with any in the world because sure. we're the two two giants in the region and so so often when we're playing in the turn the gold cup the north american tournament we end up playing them in the final um what's the what's the biggest rivalry in europe Ooh, That's a good question. Um, historically or currently? Yeah, say historically. Historically, um, it was like I'm interested to see what you think. I think I, I think it one. was like West Germany and like not really France, but like Netherlands. Yeah. I want to say right. Yeah, yeah. West West Germany and Netherlands. There were a bunch of legends. If you played FIFA, like. A ton of those legends, the icons in that game, are really around those teams. You got guys like Hullet, you got guys like Jared Mueller, um, like Van Basten, um, Ronald Koeman, like just fantastic players all playing at the same time, all kind of dominating the European scene. Um, Netherlands, actually, Ajax, um, the kind of club team in that area, was winning European titles, and they're outside of the Big Five, and so it was really just like a, a big, big moment for that team. Yeah, and... Uh as many rivalries do, uh, socioeconomic things. So just so happened that the Dutch and the Germans didn't love each other. I was going to say, what was that all about? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was there a <laughs> certain, some, some certain invasion over yeah. the, the Rhineland? Or yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so the American public generally gets their eyes on the U.S. men's national team every four years, right? Mm-hmm. It's three games in ten days that, like, make or break a coach's job. So – even if Greg Berhalter had done amazingly up to this point, if he crashes out or like crash out, I still think he gets fired. Yeah, it, it adds that s- special pressure that the American public is gonna come and sit down on Black Friday and go, "Oh, we j- just maybe we lost to England. This guy sucks. Get him out." You know, so he has that to contend with, uh, and I, that that bleeds into his like responsibilities too. Lodge, you want to talk about those? Sure. Yeah. So I mean, the responsibilities of kind of 
the men's national team of really any country um, really are centered around kind of just building a culture for when these guys come in. There's not a lot of time. Um, they really need to have like a fostering area of we're all playing for a bunch of different teams currently in our club areas. Um, but we're all kind of sharing that one common goal and you really get guys to buy in. You have teams like France um, who won the last World Cup. Now it's probably going to be Brazil, guys like that, um, where there's a lot of old people who have been in areas where they've won. They're very, very successful. And you're really kind of just trying to bring in that almost melting pot um, where you get you know, the best of both worlds. The young guys have the experienced guys to kind of settle them down, get them used to that stuff. Um, additionally, his role is a little bit different from a lot of other teams in that he also, as we mentioned, is a big recruiter. Um, not a lot of other, obviously, people in Europe, you just have you know the talent right there in your country. For, for us, I think it's a lot more of recruiting those dual national players, as we mentioned, guys like Serginio Dest, Yunus Musa. Um, and then additionally kind of you'll see you'll see Greg kind of pop up every once in a while just around the world um, another kind of thing that he has to do is just kind of check in on his players so he'll go and see their games all over um, you'll see guys you know whenever they're in the Champions League you'll you might see that bald head pop up on the screen every once in a while um, but you do see a lot of different coaches in a lot of different areas just kind of seeing how their players are playing seeing how they're developing if they're really the right fit or not yeah, and so the the kind of last responsibility, or w one of the funny responsibilities he has, uh, just because of where soccer is at in America, is he he does like little funny kind of press tour things too. So he oh. went and had to go sing "Take Me Out at the Ball Game" or "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" at Wrigley. It's mm -hmm. horrible. I mean, it would be horrible if any of us had to do it, probably. But uh, doesn't he doesn't he have to live in Chicago? Yes, you, that's a that's another one. You have to live in Chicago. Yeah. So interesting. I know that. Yeah. Is this, yeah. Where, the, is this where the team practices? Uh, no, yeah, it just not where the really. federation is located. <laughs> oh, I'm not. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I believe um, our, my friend that we talked about who we should knows get him, him on the pod. Yeah. Yeah. That, so that <laughs> would be Good nice, point. wouldn't it? <laughs> he's kind of busy, unfortunately. Why am I the guest? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but our friend who, who knows him, who used to live down the street from him, uh, ironically, now moved to Chicago and lives like right next to him again uh. in Chicago. Okay. So, yeah, he. he uh, he was actually spotted like going to some of the soccer bars recently uh, over the summer and taking in some games. So um, his final thing, he's got to make the tough calls, is choosing the roster right. for the World Cup, which drops this Wednesday. So to get you ready for that, like we said, Tim Reams on the plane. That's very exciting. Chris Richards is hurt, which is, which is a real bummer. And John Brooks is dead. He was eliminated from the uh, conversation a while ago. Uh, Weston McKenney is superhuman. That guy, his ability to recover from injuries is insane. So to give you some context, Joe, this this is our second best player. Uh, back in February, he like broke his foot. It was like six month recovery, and he was back in late May. Uh, this time he was out 14 days, and he's back this week. So he's just like got this superhuman recovery uh, ability, and so he's gonna he's gonna be on the roster when it drops on Wednesday. Absolutely no question about it. Um, some other speculative things. I'm sure we're going to get some leaks coming out, but I would expect uh, Jordan Pifak, who we talked about in the last episode, mm -hmm. one of the strikers. I think he's going to get iced out. Um, in the, in the, really? I think he will because in the last two games since we dropped that podcast, he has been on the bench for uh, Union Berlin or pulled from the game early um, and has not been really contributing. So. I know that Greg Berhalter isn't a fan of him to begin with, and I think he might have just put the nail in his coffin. So yeah. PFOC has his club team coach to thank for really putting him away. Mm -hmm. um, but 
That's tough. That's that's how it goes sometimes. Um, but I, I do think it'll be largely f- familiar faces. Uh, on the whole, we should get a mix of European players and some of the MLS players that Coach Burhalter likes. Uh, and there have already been some really cool videos coming out of like Brazil of players getting called into the World yeah. Cup with their families. It looks like draft day a little bit. It really um, or like uh, March Madness when you get your name called for the dance. Yeah, all those guys are just like going crazy with their families. Yeah, same level of expectation, right? You're like, yeah. I think it's going to happen, but it's just the it's the anticipation that kills you. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and to explain in college football terms, it's a little bit like a college football coach in that you know you've got to do this recruiting. You've got to do set your team up for success. Got to be a culture guy. Yeah, you got to be a culture guy. But you're a little bit of a C, like you can be a CEO a little bit um, because there's so many re- roles and responsibilities. And how important is is the uh, head coach's job staffing the team with assistants and other analysts and, and, and positions of that nature? You know, you ask a fantastic question, but I don't think I can name another single person on that team. I, def- yeah. I definitely think that they would be relatively vital, and you probably are getting some, some good people coming in, but I honestly can't think of anybody. I, I think it's probably – I mean, it, it all falls on him. Really, it's not, it's not going to be the backroom staff getting fired, maybe one or two guys that he brought in himself, but it, we win and we lose, and it's Greg's head on a platter either way. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, like, your guess might be as good as mine. Like, I would imagine it's pretty similar to any team, really. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, he'll have his, he'll, a lot of times they just, like any coach, they have a bunch of guys around them that they, they bring to their next job or whatever it may be. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that wraps up our episode today. Had fun breaking down Coach Burhalter. Super excited to check my phone and see what happens next in terms of this roster. But... Uh, we talked a little bit about Greg's tactics. There's actually a really well done video on YouTube. It's it's called the the evolution of Greg Berhalter's tactics, or all those words in some combination. Uh, but it's by a account called Yank Report, one of the several U.S. Men's National Team <laughs> journos out there. So uh, he does an excellent job. I would check that out. But that's all we got for you today. Click the link below. producer doesn't know how to do that (laughs) there will be no link (laughs) bread will not be on the table as well (laughs) alright guys we appreciate it Uh, just a few more episodes before the world cup so Mm -hmm. yeah thanks guys appreciate it